Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Let's get a little clearer on the concept of valuing digital assets or the concept of digital scarcity today. Time is an essential part of the equation along with a number of coins in circulation, but some commentators argue that supply and demand economics that underpin traditional models don't fit digital assets. Some even argue that there are different concepts of scarcity that we can attach to different digital assets. It's one of the biggest hurdles for those of us trying to understand the field, the valuation methodology for crypto assets. So is there a need to embrace new valuation methodologies like daily active users or network access or even the concept of community when we talk about digital scarcity? And if you're still talking about price to earnings ratio and discounted cash flows, uh, do those terms simply not have relevance when it comes to digital assets? Are those models a bad fit? Helping us out this morning, Krishna Ramachandra, Managing Director, Dwayne Morris and Selvam, one of Singapore's top 100 lawyers, according to Asia Business Law Journal. Good morning, Krishna. How are you? Very good, Michelle. Good morning. Good of you to join us. So let's talk a little bit about OMIC, uh, this mm-hmm. tiny, obscure cryptocurrency that has soared by more than 945% in value after WHO named the new COVID variant Omicron. So Bloomberg says the Omicron crypto and its spike really is a bet on attention. Why do you think mm-hmm. it's outperformed Bitcoin and really seemingly defied the wider crypto market crash that we saw last week? Um, there are many layers to it. Um, I think the uh, the pullback was expected because it's it's, it's typical of uh, the month end when the futures contracts close and and uh, those who are leveraged on the wrong side of leverage is uh, they will invariably get wiped out. And so that was already that expectation. And there's talk in the market that some of the whales had um, misinformed uh, or tried to get a bit cheeky with the announcement of the new variant. Um, so you could you could say that, uh, I mean, this is how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Now, having studied the um, users of the ecosystem and this new generation, mm-hmm. I, I think I think this is a very clear sign of uh, them saying, look, you know, we, we, we embrace everything, every every challenge, everything. And we uh, we can laugh at ourselves and we can um, go about our business. And guess what? This is another meme token to, you know, the middle finger to everything else that is uh, negative and dragging things down. So uh, I think if ever there was a, an indication of how bold and how in control that ecosystem of uh, users and this generation, uh, I, I think it is in this in this meme token that was launched. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a la the GameStop and the Reddit um, movement, if you like. Yeah, so driven by social media jokes and the puns and this concept of group buy-in, right? Is, is this a perfect case study of community and its impact on a coin's value? Yeah, totally, totally. Because um, I've um, mentioned uh, previously as well that this Dogecoin effect, you know, when I had first uh, come across the coin, you know, using my old world, you know, intellect and and the arrogance of that intellect and and claiming that it was just not tenable, no fundamentals, you know, I've had to swallow my words and, you know, I have just observed how uh, synchronized the community can be. 
and and perhaps you know if I can draw a parallel to mm. how you know we had that P2P economy way back, and then it kind of evolved into a platform economy. But that P2P economy that we had previously was it was individuals trading with each other, but not within an ecosystem or a community. And then come along the big tech, and they provide that platform, they provide that community, whether it's Facebook or whether it's Twitter and uh, and what have you. And now we see a reversion. I, mean, I call it the revenge of the P2P, and you know, and it's a much stronger variant because this P2P is kind of community driven. So it's almost C to C, like a CC to CC, because it's community and creators, and they are interacting with one another. And so there is that force, if you like, and that power that comes with those individuals now uniting, if you like, with um, uh, with a common theme or a uh, or a common narrative that they are putting forward, and not relying on uh, old world narratives. So should we just accept that not all cryptocurrencies will have scarcity as a key value, uh, key part of their value proposition? For example, we know Bitcoin has a fixed supply, right? Capped at mm-hmm. 21 million coins. Mm-hmm. But Ethereum, some say, has its own economics of scarcity because mm-hmm. it's often used to offset those high gas fees. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's such a part of authenticating tokens on the blockchain. But when you look at a meme coin, whether mm-hmm. Shiba Inu or is Dogecoin or OMIC, see uh, these coins have infinite supply so you know how are we to understand this concept of value i would say i mean not all of them have an infinite supply uh, number one but let's let's remove uh, ethereum from the discussion because they do have an infinite supply and they are a very unique situation but i would say that most other coins you know they do have the same treasury uh, effect of uh, having a monetary and fiscal policy and how they manage the the token issuances and whether there is uh, a set of levers pulling um, the um, the further issuances by looking at the market and whether they need to stabilize the price. But on the whole, I would say it's it's certainly a function of the number of points in circulation and how well the brand slash culture slash flag narrative for that particular token has been played out within the community. And And it's something which when you start looking at it, it hasn't got an intrinsic value vis-a-vis how we view the traditional um, public securities because, you know, all of these tokens that are listed are utility. And so if there is a doomsday situation, you know, there isn't going to be a liquidation preference or there's, there's going to be nothing for the holder. But I think a new narrative is being formed. And you touched upon it just now, which is the the type of interactivity that the wallet holder has with that particular coin. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I would say if, um, if whether it's XC Infinity or if you've got a token that requires the holder to actually start engaging on that platform on on the wallet, then that would be a lot more valuable from a brand perspective than, let's say, if it's just quite randomly um, a single dimensional uh, token that just is collected and kept in the world, but there's no other interaction. So I think we, we, are, we are looking at a, a whole host of new ways to create value mm-hmm. to, the, uh, uh, to those tokens. 
All right. Speaking of doomsday scenarios, not mm-hmm. looking good for cryptocurrency uh, traders in India, where the government is racing to introduce a digital currency bill that seeks to ban crypto trading. So India, mm-hmm. one of the world's fastest growing markets for cryptocurrency trading. Um, but the central bank is clear that it wants all private cryptocurrencies banned while it creates its own official CBDC, so to speak. So Krishna, do you mm-hmm. see other countries following suit to pave the way for their own uh, central bank digital currencies? I'm not sure about what other countries will do, but let's just draw the distinction between what Singapore is doing and what India has just done. Okay. And I would say India has gone about it the wrong way because I think they were late to the game. They probably realized that. And they have probably witnessed the increasing influence of cryptocurrencies generally um, on the population, especially with, uh, you know, there's one of these uh, altcoins, which is a pretty popular polygon method. And, you know, it was um, actually developed by a few Indians. And so that in itself would have created a following and a fervor. And there are some actually very credible projects uh, that are coming out of India. So that, it's a shame that, it, that it's all been uh, kept on hold. Agri-10x is one project which is meant to uh, actually improve the interactions the farmers have with the co-ops. But anyway, the the point here is it's a bit naive for the central government in India to actually think that by banning cryptocurrencies um, that they will, they will find the runway and the time to go and devise or design their central bank uh, digital currency. And I tell you why it's also a flawed strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, because let's take the case of Singapore. What they've done is they've had a pretty light touch approach. And when anyone's out of, uh, out of the boundaries, they, uh, they pull them back and, you know, uh, wrap their knuckles. And, but still kind of carry on and encourage the entire scene. But what their Trojan Hall strategy has been is to really observe the interaction of the tokens and the token users and how the token, if you like, circulates within the economy. And that will all be captured when the PSA uh, comes into full force through the a licensing of all such um, uh, digital payment token uh, service providers and, and holders. So, so if you like, it's quite pointless to have a central bank digital currency, which is just um, one dimensional. You, you need it to have, you know, multiple dimensional and to have the possibility of, for, for example, you know, being programmable where you would actually right. have it uh, targeted to a particular uh, household or, or household within a certain income means, etc. But if you're not, if you, if you do not have the sandbox, so to speak, within, let's say, India, and to see how digital currencies are being um, interacted with b- between the population, then it's going to be hard for you to work out, if you like, the treasury um, mechanics, the, the whole monetary policy around it as well. And, and I think that's, that's the part it's, uh, they're, they're slightly misguided because um, I think it's just a knee-jerk reaction. They probably figured that um, these coins are getting a lot more intelligent because you can, you can do a whole lot of things with NFTs, which, uh, are, which, can, which can quite literally be circulated amongst a group and be an amazing, efficient fundraising mechanism and, and, and various other things. And so when it comes to election times, uh, I'm sure it's always going to be a concern for politicians as well. But I think it's a bit unfortunate because uh, India is such a huge market and they've got some really talented people there. Mm. And it would have been nice to see some good projects come out.
Yeah, the value of several digital currencies in India reportedly dropped following the announcement of the bill. Prime Minister Narendra Modi's administration racing to finalize the legislation in time for the last parliament session of the year. So speaking of value, Bitcoin fell more than 13% on Wazir X. That's an Indian exchange. Uh, Shiba Inu Dogecoin also dropping more than 15%. But you mentioned NFTs, so we have to venture into the metaverse. And in recent days, a plot of land Krishna has sold for two. 2.1 million pounds in the online world, made up world, Decentraland, and that obliterates its own previous record sale of some 810,000 pounds. And that was just back in, say, when June. So do you see other partnerships forming? Because I understand that Decentraland sold this land to a metaverse group and mm-hmm. this took the form of a partnership. So do you see other similar partnerships forming? And really, what do companies hope to gain from such buys, Krishna? Well, um, so certainly I see a lot of partnerships forming. Um, I think Adidas also did something uh, recently. Because you've got to see or you've got to imagine that it's going to be an extension of the real world. So if you are a brand or if you are a uh, a company or a business that has a significant exposure to the Zoomers, then you almost certainly need to have some strategy which allows you to follow them along into the metaverse. And it only does make sense uh, for there to be partnerships because it's early days and it's a massive undertaking for any project to navigate, to, to really develop if you like that, that entire universe that that particular project is trying to handle. And I think the best way and the fastest way for proliferation would be to uh, to have a whole series of partnerships. And I think, you know, all partnerships should not be driven by, um, by a show of money. Um, I, th- I think if you want to really take on uh, deeper partnerships, It'll be easier for you to, you know, back end the the monetary part of it, but just to get some of the old world businesses to to dip their toes in and and see how things can work out. Uh, but I particularly see brands, um, you know, particularly if you're a Panerai or a Rolex or a Patek. Every time you sell a physical watch, you're gonna you're gonna offer the optionality for that customer a digital version of it and mm. that will be captured in an NFT that would be the certificate of authenticity and whatever other rights there is and also enable that person to wear that particular watch if you like in that verse yeah so art is going to be the new brush isn't it in the, in this world and as you see wearables uh, mm-hmm. purchase uh, whether it's property or, or wearables uh, we're hope, uh, probably going to see it take off the platform mm-hmm. Decentraland for example has already hosted virtual music festivals that have attracted mm-hmm. headliners like Deadmau5 Paris Hilton as well and it's also attracting institutional interests recently mm-hmm. signed an agreement with the government of Barbados to open the world's first digital embassy in January next year. All right. uh, Mm. From the digital world, let's step back into the real world. And Mm -hmm. I think for many people looking at November 16th and what happened to the prices of Bitcoin, um, for example, really bearish day for Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, we know these are spectacularly volatile assets, but every time Mm -hmm. this happens and we see a dip in prices, this argument comes up. Is it, are cryptocurrencies still a practical asset for diversification? And 
or, or do they really pack a volatility punch for people hoping to incorporate them into their portfolios? Does crypto mm. not perform well as a hedge? And is crypto not a practical bet against inflation? Well, obviously, I'm not giving any financial advice, but I, I can't imagine a world where if you are somehow exposed to the financial markets and you are investing in, if you like, traditional uh, investment products, that you do not have some level of exposure to the most talked about coins. And I'm, and I'm, not, and I'm not referring to the meme coins, but, you know, whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or some of the other coins. Now, um, if I were to get into an intellectual discussion, I, I, I may take a different view on, on Ethereum. Uh, but if it's just a, a, a medium-term view, let's say a, a, a two- or three-year horizon, you know, it's probably still going to be around. But I think what the market is going to witness um, later this year and perhaps even next year is the, the load and the stress that is going to be posed on the uh, highway, if you like, the infrastructure protocol highway. And, and it's, a, it's an extremely old highway. And it was not built for the kind of volume and, and capacity that we're going to witness when the gaming and the metaverse projects start going full steam ahead and really start stepping the bandwidth because it's going to show up those that have, you know, put out a narrative that they're going to have X amount of speed and, you know, they, they have no, uh, no, no latency, no lag and rendering is going to be perfect. I think it's going to really show up a lot of projects and it might even expose one or two of the um, heavyweights uh, as to how they are operating because if you look at gas fees uh, mm. for Ethereum, I mean, it's sky high. And if you look at even some of the layer two projects, you know, they've, they've just gotten onto the bed. The, the reality is demand and supply, right? And so if you want the validation done and you have got huge amounts of load coming through you and you can't handle it, you've just got to price it up. And, and once the layer two projects start saying that they, um, they have to increase their fees, mm -hmm. It just tells you that even the even their infrastructure isn't capable of coping with the throughput, and and I think that's going to be the uh, the real game changer. Um, sure, everyone can put out a narrative about you know doing the next NFT project or the next metaverse project, but that's all quite frankly just written narrative or, or verbal narrative. But you know the litmus test would be how effectively can you operate your ecosystem on that highway, so to speak. Well, the actual fundamentals of cryptocurrencies are still being explored by technologists mm. and academics alike. So always wonderful to have you share your insights with us, Krishna. Thank you for being here. Not at all. Pleasure. Krishna Ramachandra is Managing Director, Dwayne Morrison, Selvam, and one of Singapore's top 100 lawyers joining me here on Money and Me. This is Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.